Network Radio. This week's show is a journey into consciousness, working through the wonderful trance mediumship of Mick and Sylvie Avery, with wisdom brought through by spirit guide Gregory Hay. To find out more about their work, you can visit www.spirit-teaching.com. Hello, greetings, my dear friend. Hello. Hello. Greetings, Gregory. Good day to you, Ian. Good day to you. Gregory, um, before we get going with, with the questions, yes, um, are you aware that you, you might be going on tour next year? Uh, yes, yes, quite so, yes. We, well, we hope to. Um, that is the situation at the present time. Of course, it will depend upon various responses that uh, are received. And of course, we will endeavour to do all that we can. I understand that in actual fact, uh, there is a, um, a magazine uh, uh, feature that is uh, being uh, published on in the March uh, months. So, are you are you guys going on tour in the spring? Well, I, I am unaware of exactly when, for I do not know of uh, dates that may have been furnished. I think it is a little early days at this present time, and we shall see how the cookie crumbles. Okay, all right. Well, I thought I'd bring it up anyway, so that if people are listening and um, they're interested in uh, meeting Gregory firsthand, then uh, they know that you guys are potentially going on the road at some point. So. Yes, I do look forward to it always, my dear friend. We look forward to every single event without question. Uh, a person's own private Akashic reading is just as important as a, a worldwide broadcast or a whole situation of live event interactivity. Indeed, it gives people the opportunity to ask you the questions rather than me as well, for a change. Yes, absolutely. And we uh, enjoy, of course, uh, the most difficult questions. Uh, that is the whole point. The, the, the whole situation needs to be uh, brought about with great clarity. Okay, yeah. well, without further ado, um, we'll start the show. I've got quite a few mind-boggling questions this evening. And I thought I'll start off with... Um, uh, with Pearl Harbor because it is the anniversary oh, is it today? no yesterday was the anniversary of Pearl Harbor yes. so I just thought I'd get your take on that actually was the uh, course, the course of events that happened back in um, 1941 did they happen as they've been reported or was there anything about that that um, is different from what we know well, my dear friend, uh, it is virtually the way that it happened, as had been reported. The situation of involvement of one country or another toward war. Don't forget, friend, that situations cr are created because of mind activity, because of decisions made by other people. Those who then become involved with war or with violence of any sort and any form that it takes are in in a sense the the end the end arbiters of it is usually down to uh, how a, a person one person meets their passing with another, and that is purely and simply the nub of it. So the actual instrumentation of how one country goes to war with another and at which variance it is that uh, there is supposed to be someone's fault or blame is usually a matter of the history books 
and who happens to be writing it at the time. I understand that uh, many situations to do with uh, this particular instant incident uh, was really, in a sense, uh, how the uh, North American peoples actually were dragged, kicking and screaming, in a sense, into the Second World War. However, that situation was really due to the alliance between uh, the countries of uh, Germany with Japan, but also other alliances too. And I understand that in actual fact, America had actually been a part of the uh, United Kingdom, in a sense, war effort in that they had been sending them armaments. But in actual fact, many of the armaments that had been sent were faulty at any rate. I understand, and were actually simply sent because they were below their own standard. Oh, okay. So this whole situation, in a sense, was uh, much dramatized. You see, oh, uh, isn't one country being so favorable because they are sending us all of these armaments, and, and yet, in actual fact, much of it didn't even work at all. So it's in, in, in many respects, you could say that there is, it's like, two boxers going into a ring, but uh, actually one of the boxer's gloves is made of feathers rather than uh, of the material that they expect it to be made of. Mm. Is, is there tr any truth in the um, claims that um, at some level the American military knew that the attack was going to happen, but they allowed it to happen because it would give them um, almost like a smoking gun Yes, a greater impetus for war. Yes, quite so. In many respects, I think uh, that that is uh, most probably the right cause of explanation for it, friend. I understand, however, that this is still being talked about in the spirit world. In fact, there are many uh, people, uh, particularly those who actually passed during that event, and their explanations of it and their whole situation of where they have actually met with their commanders who have also since passed and all of that, you see, and, and uh, the, the, to do with the uh, uh, various people in government departments of the time as well. And so there have been many recriminations backward and forward in the spirit world once these people relevant to the situation had all passed. So there have been, don't forget that everything has to become uh, annulled and created and understood and also, of course, there are many who are still angry over the event. So I think a lot of people have painted parallels between Pearl Harbor and 9-11 and in a sense that you know, people knew it was going to happen but allowed it to happen because it gives them the smoking gun to go to war. So in the 9-11 sense, um, America just went straight into um, Afghanistan, Iraq, and we've been fighting wars ever since. Yes, the problem, my dear friend, with greatest respect to do with the situation, the event of 9-11 uh, was, in fact, uh, the fact that uh, both the uh, United States of America as well as many European countries had been ultimately responsible for the for the whole uh, situation of control and power ranged against against the individual Mr. Osama bin Laden purely and simply because uh, at one point he was actually in the pay of those masters mm. and uh, of course against the Russians 
uh, uh, people who were then thought and voted of as being the number one enemy of their kindred spirit purely and simply because they had difficult uh, uh, and and sometimes predilected uh, political views which ranged against them. They were then seen as the enemy and simply this same situation, this same uh, range of, of suspect energies that people have as a way of manipulation of different uh, different tribes, different uh, alliances, and that it's it's like the the manipulation of one uh, voice of people against another, and they will use any kind of dissent from that if it's seen as being that they will then uh, continue to fight in their in their honor um, so that they will then uh, bring about arms to them and all the rest of it you see yeah yeah so I, I, mean, I remember reading somewhere that when 9-11 happened they actually let out uh, members of the bin laden family and many people from um, saudi arabia were let out of america at the same time that they were actually um, closing down airports and, and basically grounding all flights Yes, so you understand that. Yeah, it's very suspect. Anyway, I've, I've digressed slightly there because I didn't really want to go on to 9-11. It's quite all right. So really, it was just to bring up Pearl Harbor because obviously it's the um, anniversary and um, so we're just one of those that have obviously passed in that event and uh, obviously people are still thinking of them today. Yes, of course, of course, because all of those lives lost at that event were extremely traumatic for both those people who were lost and also for the families of those who were lost and all of those who continue to remember them as well. So we send our love to them also. Indeed, thank you. Okay, next topic of discussion, um, and this is to do with angels in space. Um, this landed in my lap, I was reading the newspaper article in the mainstream media, funny enough, and this article popped out at me this week and I thought, oh, I've got to ask you about this. And basically it entails Soviet cosmonauts in, I'll try and pronounce this, in the Salyut, Salyut 7, I imagine that must be uh, an orbiting... Salyut, yes. Oh, you got that, okay. Salyut 7, Salyut yeah. 7, and that orbited the Earth in 1985. And according to these astronauts, they saw celestial beings appear on board their space station. Um, and it goes on to say that we saw a big orange cloud and then we saw seven giant figures in the form of humans but with wings and mist like halos as in the classic depiction of, of angels. And it says um, they were high above the Earth and they were blinded temporarily and it, basically the visitors were there for about 10 minutes then vanished and then 12 days later other cosmonauts who were now on board the um, spacecraft also witnessed these glowing beings and they were they appeared to be very angelic they looked very angelic um, and they were smiling as if they had a glorious secret <laughs> yes so what do you make of that what a lovely story, friend. Okay. So, for it to be a genuine statement is a matter for those who were dwelling within it at the time. The situation will be, and you have to remember, that for many, they will actually, uh, spirit will represent themselves to whoever 
and whatever they would deem to be uh, perhaps understanding the power of the universe to understand the position between physical beings and non-physical entities. So therefore, it is a very good chance for uh, those in the ethereal world to be able to uh, predict themselves, to be able to show themselves in a certain light, in a certain kind of energy that then allows them to feel perhaps that there is some greater knowledge and greater purpose about the universe of which man has yet to realize. I feel that that, in point of fact, is the eternal message of all of those of the ethereal world. So, okay, so, so what, what are you confirming here? Are you saying that this, this didn't happen, or was it kind no. of... Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that oftentimes what does happen is that people's interpretation of what they see or how they see an object or a being from the ethereal world will usually be of what they expect to see or how they can then perceive a being who is of the ethereal world, uh, therefore not of physical stuff, to then become uh, understanding to them. I think it is a good case in point of how the energy of the ethereal world can then be blended into forming these uh, uh, essential beings, in a sense, in enabling that visitation to be, in a sense, uh, uh, so that it's understood by the human being, by the physical being, that they are actually in the presence of some part of the universe which is greater than themselves. Sure, sure. So to, to explain another part of life that they may not have encountered. So do you think this was um, spirit um, beings rather than perhaps ET origin? Well, same thing, my dear friend. I'm, I'm saying in a sense because all beings are at some stage in the spirit world. In fact, most beings are in the spirit world most of the time. So the fact that they may have a, uh, a remembered energy or a memory of a journey as a being of some planet or other, like you, for example, that may be a distant memory, or it may be a memory that they can actually put into the fabric of a physical being. Do you see? Hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and so you see, it means that all is possible. I am not saying that anything is ruled out of this question or answer. Sure. And simply that everything is possible because you're talking about the ethereal world in which all things are possible. Okay. I mean, I feel it's, it's possible. I just wondered if you was aware of that scenario and, um, you know, if you, if, you could, if you were aware of that scenario that you could elaborate on the meaning of that contact. The meaning of the contact I am well versed with, as has been predicted within other situations, within other events of uh, real-time contact, for example, with uh, Mother Mary or with Jesus or however these other saintly situations and evocations arise. I am saying purely and simply it's to allow human beings to understand that there's still so much more so much greater than the sum total of their mind journey to this time. 
and from what their memory has become and for, from their physical actions, it simply means that perhaps they will grasp the nettle of how absolutely beautiful the universe can be and how their behavior simply has to change with their regard of it. Well, I mean, also it highlights that there is this beautiful, celestial, um, loving consciousness beings there, you know, looking over humanity as well, I guess. You know, you're up in a spacecraft, they're kind of there above the Earth. It's, it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good sign to know they're there. Yes, but what I'm also saying and suggesting here, my dear friend, that every single situation of every single being who has ever lived upon the physical earth is now in the spirit world and every single possible being who has ever lived anywhere in the universe is still here within the universe. So it means that the manifestation of one being or another is always possible from the ethereal world. Sure. Okay. And it simply helps all beings when they're in the physical journey to understand the importance of their understanding of the whole totality of it. So not to make them feel small and insignificant, but to help them understand that they are too a part of the integral journey of spirit. Because there's another story I'm going to lead to as well, and this was also reported in the mainstream media, um, I think it was earlier this year. And basically, this was a former NASA employee, sorry, a former NASA employee had just revealed that he'd witnessed two American astronauts meeting an extraterrestrial during a space shuttle mission. Um, spacecraft operator Clark McClelland worked for the space agency from 1958 to 1992. Um, and basically, they witnessed the, is it basically the humanoid, had a humanoid body shape with two arms, two hands, two legs, two feet, a slim torso. Um, it was about eight to nine foot tall. It was wearing a space uniform, and um, yeah. So I mean, that's just basically it. So it had no oxygen mask or anything like that. It was just a very tall humanoid yeah. uh, being that appeared on the craft in contact with these astronauts. I understand. The point is that there are many, many different races who do not require uh, life support systems as within human beings because they actually uh, hold their energy within them. Uh, they do not need uh, any external support. Sure. So it's a simple matter of um, other people, other beings from elsewhere who are able to manifest themselves, usually by some form of teleportation that enables them to do that. Okay, so my next question is then, who are they? I mean. Are they, they're obviously in contact with our governments, so clearly there is an agenda or some kind of work going on between the two of them? Yes, I understand that much of this really is um, actually to do with such things as the concern at this present time on an intergovernment level to do with uh, the climate and the climate control possibilities or probabilities. So some of this is actually to do with the new information coming forward about that, about how to uh, control these various masses of energy uh, to do with temperature and uh, the amounts of 
hydrology really which are to do with that whole mm. question you see yeah and okay. I understand it's actually from the Kragis uh, people who are to do with this so are our mainstream governments aware of them or is this very top secret high above even what our governments be aware of yes uh, uh, government tends to be interreactive don't you think to do with one situation or agenda or another. So it will depend entirely upon the political persuasion or flavor of that government at the time. These events usually tend to be without uh, the realm of government, but rather to do with uh, the more intrinsic state of hierarchy within uh, the way that a country works. So saying not as a political uh, mastery of the government of the day, but rather to do with the machinery of the country itself. Yeah. I mean, this also raises another um, intriguing question as well. I I see a documentary this week, um, and it was about conspiracy theories, I guess, and it was all about space. But it showed an interesting parallel between all the different countries that were uh, space nations and all of their logos or signias all had a, a similar logo in them and that was the vector it's like a v-shape yes so they, they all had a common logo and there's many examples of this where um, flags or crests or whatever all around the world seem to have common symbology in the logos so at this at the level of human level where people don't really aware what's going on we all feel that we're kind of separate nations competing with each other, governments at each other's throats. But then at the kind of space uh, level, they all seem to be unified. Yes, it's probably one of the simple, uh, uh, single most unified situations that humanity is presently facing. Uh, I understand that (laughs) in all other realms, humanity is at one another's throats. So it appears to be. Perhaps the situation of uh, the uh, current uh, problems of climatic control will also then engender the same kind of response from humanity in being a global concern. Yeah, it kind of makes you feel though that it's a, they're, they're playing us in some ways, that they, they will really get on at some higher level, but they're just kind of making us all separate. Keep us in fear, keep us all separate. Yes, it keeps I, us easily controlled. Yes, I do understand that, my dear friend, and I feel in actual fact that the, the whole rudimentary system of this is in essence to keep those countries who are uh, perhaps uh, less ambivalent, less uh, uh, friendly, less harmonic, shall we say, and that are trying to keep their own counsel in, in a rigorous state so as uh, in actual fact what's happening is that it's quite beyond that kind of task. I'm not really explaining myself very well here. But what I'm trying to say is that some tribes are actually kept in the dark. They're kept out of this whole control situation purely and simply because they're still trying to crush those energies of individuality. And that is the same as to whether these energies are negative or intently hostile or, in fact, whether they are just 
simply uh, people who have not been included in the situation, like, for example, people who live in the Amazon rainforest or something like that. They're kept completely isolated on purpose so that their their range, their, their whole civilization can be, in fact, overtaken at any point that those who are in power in that country of both Brazil and uh, Peru and, and other countries as well that are surrounding it and being a part of the Amazon basin uh, and also, of course, the surrounding uh, uh, mountains of the Andes uh, and all of that situation that feeds it, that these whole uh, kinds of configurations of peoples, uh, much of them have been left out of the control power of which you speak. It's more really to do with the intent of those who actually have both the natural resources in the respect of oil or in respect of uh, other natural um, elements, perhaps minerals, rather than forestry, because obviously once it's cut down, that's it, it's gone. And it doesn't matter whether it's releasing uh, high toxicity, uh, whether it's releasing lead or, or mercury or large amounts of uh, arsenic or any other toxic uh, substance. Mm. It is simply a, a ploy so that human beings can then, who are in that industry, can then simply just ship it away and make whatever uh, they wish to out of it uh, yeah. for their own reasons. I, I'm not digressing from this. I'm just simply stating that the way that governmental and, and administrative situations are developing within human beings is that you have an echelon of people who are very much in control and yeah. people uh, generally within the populace of each individual country need to recognize that they can have control too. And that's why we tend to encourage people to really understand what voice they have and how to uh, embolden it. It's mm. not a matter of us being, uh, we're not certainly being antagonistic to any governmental source or power. Uh, we are simply saying that human beings have to wake up yeah. or no. they are problem using well see i completely um empathize what you're saying there and obviously we, we have very brave people in places like china and iran using their voices to speak up yes absolutely so but then they're very cruelly crushed thrown in jail executed so you know it's, it's just not being you know these people don't have free uh, free speech they can't just stand up and and protest like we do you know, by protesting, they potentially could be killed or their families could be killed. That is true, but they have to use other methods, other situations, employ more subtle means to, to uh, expressing their language, to expressing their opinions, and not uh, to, to have uh, dissension uh, from their uh, political masters, but to actually just simply want to uh, understand, want to be a part of uh, what they are wishing to be, to create their own lives. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I, mean, I, I know what needs to be done, but it's obviously it's, it's a very courageous uh, you know, thing to do, um, and it's not going to be easy for people. And, and just going back on the, the around thing as well, I mean, one of the, the logos and uh, symbols I saw was that one of them was actually Iran. And, you know, that is the new enemy of uh, America and, and the world and Israel. No, and, not really. But not really, is it? No, not really, no. No, it's just, it's just a, we're just living in a big theatre. Yes, Someone's because... Holding, sorry, yes, go on. 
I, I'm sorry, my friend. Purely and simply because, in actual fact, a lot of the uh, situations of culture within Iran itself and the people who are uh, uh, made up of that country are incredibly intelligent. Uh, the the prospect of this is in actual fact that many of the situations of language actually originated from Iran hmm. for the whole human race. So you can see then that because it is the foundation, one of the foundation stones of the rise of humanity, if you like, uh, beyond other species on your side of life. So in that respect, it does have foundation status. In that respect, of course, what you see on the surface is just like a small child, which is out of order and out of control. Yeah. But you see, in fact, the, the mass of uh, people of Iran are simply uh, having to put up with the, the naughty child, which is taking away their ball, taking away their children, uh, hanging them uh, even at the age of 15 or less and for almost no apparent reason uh, mm. for uh, situations purely and simply to keep them out of their own language, to keep them out of their own power and their own understanding of who they truly are. Yeah, well one of the, the recent things that just highlight the whole thing for me in the media and I really don't know how anybody didn't see it or pick up on it and it was there's massive saber rattling going on between North Korea and America in the, in the news there was this boat flying around that could have had nuclear waste on it or God knows what next thing you know um, Bill Clinton's flying over there you know the um, little leader there is all happy and he's like um, you know awestruck with Bill Clinton and then these two um, kidnapped ladies or whatever they get released and then it's all brushed over and you think, hang on a minute, this was supposed to be um, number one enemy of America and all of a sudden this deal goes on behind the scenes and they seem to be the best of friends. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's just weird. Yes. You know, it's just crazy. I understand. It's like watching a play. Yeah, it's just like a big theatre. Yes. Uh, it really that is. Was, that was Act 43 and mm. now we have so many other acts to go, you see? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's another, yeah, anyway, I could go on and on. Um, there's really very much I can say about that, apart from the fact that the people of North Korea themselves are uh, of poverty of mind. They want contact, really. It's just that the situation has become that they are so nervous of the rest of the planet and its, its productive hostility toward it. Yeah, um, another interesting thing as well. We've, we've obviously got um, Gary McKinnon. Um, he's uh, a local lad. I understand in, that in yeah. the UK. Yeah, and he obviously broke into the Pentagon and NASA. Um, and or extraterrestrial. Exactly. Yeah, and um, and according to reports, he found lists of non-terrestrial officers involved in fleet to fleet transfers. So basically, NASA um, working with these non-terrestrial beings, I suppose, what we, we were talking about earlier. Yes. And stuff like that. And, and you know, obviously, he's going to... America's hell-bent on getting him over to America to face trial. Yes, it would be, I feel, my dear friend, myself, it would have been far better for them to have actually employed him to continue his work in trying to actually... 
uh, overcome their own sensitive states and continue to break in. Mm. And they should actually give it to him as a job of work to do mm. because he's extremely good at it. Purely and simply because obviously if he can do it, then so can others. And my point really is that it goes to show them how uh, infantile that they, uh, those people who have brought up these charges are and also, of course, how frightened that they have become that someone of such a supposedly limited stature and uh, mental notice could do such a thing is simply bringing about the the apparent uh, ease with which he was able to uh, make this escapade work uh, was simply and purely because of his own genius. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, really, they're just like little kids with a je jealousy guarding what they know. They don't want no one else to know about it. And they're trying to set an example, aren't they, T to stop anybody else even daring to hack into their, their computers. Yes, but my point really would be the way that he was able to do it should really be looked at most carefully. And he should, uh, they perhaps ought to employ him mm. to teach them how he did it. So that they would know how to stop someone else from doing such a thing. Yeah. Now, I'll share your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, okay. Just moving on to something different as well. I saw a video that was allegedly um, taken of NASA footage, actually. It was apparently footage from a NASA spacecraft that was hidden from the public but was caught by a ground station. I think it was a, a guy in Canada. Um, that hooked into the um, NASA video stream and on there he caught what he termed as space critters like weird kind of stringy things that seem to be just floating around outside of Earth's atmosphere or in deep space have, have you come across the term critters? No, I have not have, have, you, have you come across kind of like orb-like things that are kind of floating around in space that seem to be intelligent moving around and stuff? Well, uh, there are many uh, beings in the ethereal world who use orbs as a form of plasmic transfer, uh, in a sense, so that they can harbor, so that they can create thoughts within them and, uh, in, in a sense, to bridge. It's part of the ethereal world's practice, if you like, to use various different instruments uh, on our behalf so that we are able to bring about bridges between the ethereal world and the physical world. And oftentimes different parts of these anomalies are actually shown to actually work. So uh, part of what human beings tend to see are not necessarily that they are different individual life forms, but rather that they are uh, situate manifestations, if you like, of what others in the ethereal world are bringing about, much like orbs and that kind of thing. Sure. Is it, is it easier for spirit and, and other beings to sort of manifest outside of the Earth's atmosphere? Is there kind of a difference in physics or, or, or light or anything there that makes it easier? There is obviously a difference in physics purely and simply because you don't have the gaseous states of various different anomalies, which then in a sense are creating inherent different, difference, 
uh, calculable uh, uh, situations which uh, can then bring problems or actual ease. It depends upon the makeup of the plasmic energy and how we're then able to interact with it. Uh, for example, if you are interacting with an oxygen-rich environment like the Earth, it's actually quite difficult to do that, particularly at this present time with so many other volatile chemicals released into the atmosphere which otherwise would not normally be present, except perhaps in a violent volcanic reaction or something like that which also tends to be quite limiting in the spirit world, ethereal world's ability to create such anomalies. So in a sense, dear friend, I'm saying that when you are faced with a, a planet world whereby the normal inherent uh, gases and liquids present may well be conducive to us being able to uh, produce ethereal products like a plasmic globes or balls or of energy or some such thing, uh, oftentimes the, the subspace and that kind of place is much more stable to, uh, an environment to produce such a thing than the Earth uh, environment itself, you see? Yeah, okay. Just a very quick question here and I, I want a really quick answer. <laughs> so I've, I've asked this question before oh, and um, uh, basically it's about climate change in a sense but yes. did you say to me before that the sun is also having an impact on our climate via the jet stream? The sun is actually having an impact of course because of its solar flares because of the activities of the sun various sunspot activity and that kind of thing is bound to have a certain effect yes the jet stream and its accomplices, varying other streams uh, of accomplices, which are uh, across the globe and around the globe, they navigate their way around the globe simply as a part of the of the situation of uh, uh, spinning energy that comes from the globe actually uh, of of Earth actually spinning on its axis. So part of this, in a sense, you could say, is the way of of energy being released from the planet. And also, in a sense, in exactly the same way as if you spun a ball on a table you would, uh, and you placed your hands very close to the spinning ball, you would feel energy from it. You would feel wind from it, a change in climate, change in temperature, because it would feel cold, purely and simply because of the wind mass and the, the volatile state of, of energy that is coming from the ball simply because it's spinning. That's exactly the same as the different energy that's coming from uh, the planet Earth. And in some respects, the sun has some impact upon that. Yes, of course. And it rises and falls depending upon whether the sun or, or its proximity to the Earth. And it rises and falls because of the Earth and its magnetic polarity at that time. With perhaps to do with the time of year and whereabouts on the planet that you are. And has that uh, certain effects upon the climate? Yes, of course, absolutely. Yeah. You will see that the Earth itself moves generally in 10-year cycles and that uh, there are different manifestations that are accumulative, that sometimes you could say from one 10-year cycle to another that it's getting colder and from another 10-year cycle it appears to be much, much hotter. The point is you have to look at the general trend. 
Mm. Yeah, okay. The only reason I ask is obviously at the moment on Earth, due to that climate change thing, we now have massive polarisation in, in whether people believe in, in climate change or not. Um, so there's some very difficult uh, days ahead, I think, because obviously the sceptics now completely uh, disregard climate change and those that are trying to say that it's real have, um, are having a real up uphill struggle to improve um, it. But some of the things I've heard as well that obviously we have got the climate change as well, but some people are predicting that the uh, jet stream could get extremely unpredictable over the coming years, even yes. insofar as coming down lower and causing you know disastrous winds at ground level. Oh, well, well, I wouldn't say that as much as the jet stream actually wobbling from being higher up the planet itself. Normally, this is a situation which then changes. Uh, you would see that uh, the jet stream at one time of the year will revolve around one part of the planet or will be between a certain band of uh, 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 latitude. Yes? Yeah. And so it will be between a certain specific band of latitude uh, that one jet stream will orientate itself with another. Uh, what you will see in the coming years is that that band's width will change and alter, and that will be the dynamic that has yet to actually be plotted and particularly predictably understood by scientists on your side of life. This is a part of the science that they just have not, has not yet been grasped and is a part of the greatest concern from our side of life as to the importance then of this term of life, purely and simply because if it were that the, the uh, jet stream should then slip further southward, you would see because of the fact that the warming currents then uh, uh, create a different volatility in the atmosphere, you will see a, a completely different scenario of uh, how hurricanes work, for example, how tornadoes work, the different kinds of situations that can arise from that, particularly to do with electromagnetic and static electricity built up within these forces, which are, will be quite diff different from those which are happening at this present time. It's part of the reason also, friend, while you're going to see, begin to see different cloud formations from the ones that you are used to. And the same kind of situation of having silent thunderstorms, which will become more endemic. Okay, so when you say f silent, you'll see the lightning, but you won't... But no sound. Really? Can that happen? Because when you doesn't yes. lightning actually vaporize the air? Then the air goes in, and that causes the loud. That, that depends entirely upon the form of lightning that it is. Okay. Okay. And what it's actually doing. And what I'm saying is that there are forms of lightning which actually don't do that. Yeah. Okay. So how how much longer do we have before the skeptics can say, "Oh, actually, something is up"? Well, you will see it within the next cycle. So what's, the, what's so, the next cycle? Well, the next cycle is over a 10-year period, right? Okay. Uh, which actually uh, began last year. So you're in the first year of it. So are we in the kind of the, the quiet stages of it, and then it gets yes, to a peak? this is the lull, yes. Yeah. Okay, the lull before the storm, as it were. Well, the lull before change. That's yeah. Saying. Cycles are changes, yes. Mm.
and their changes from what it was 10, 20 years ago to a new cycle of change. Yeah, that's okay. my point, really. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like we're in a new uh, time of change with the weather anyway. This year has been very different, uh, you know. Uh, yes, yes, quite so. But what you are seeing as being uh, 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 totally unpredictable weather patterns and situations, because after all, what happened with your country at the present time was simply because the weather pattern became stilled. And mm. that was what created the natural situation of phenomena as well as the, the different kinds of phenomena that you will see, which will be local in respect of the area that they devastate. But that those areas will simply begin to enlarge upon themselves. I'm not here, however, to be a frightening person or whatever, uh, uh, bringing doom and gloom. I, I'm simply saying that human beings have to wake up and there will be certain signals which will enable human beings to understand much more of this whole uh, contentious issue at this present time, I'm sure. Okay. All right. Thank you. This is um, a question from one of our listeners. Yes. Um, and I think this is um, this has come out of another show that we did where we mentioned that the earth is a living entity. Yes. So, Basically, the question goes like this. Um, would Gregory uh, kindly explain what is meant by Earth being a living thing? I understand that all matter is in a way living with its own vibration, but does the Earth have an ability as an entity to inf influence events, to create situations, or do conditions simply react to energies created by the Earth's inhabitants? Yes, uh, to the latter, uh, no to the previous part. Uh, the situation of Earth as uh, gear the uh, energy spirit of the Earth is that, in a sense, it's like uh, a spirit energy which has a physical being, but that its physical being, the spirit energy, is not reacting to the physical being's presence. Do you see? Hmm. So you have a spirit being which is of the Earth, whereby it would in a sense, function in normality uh, of being a prime harmonic dwelling for other forms of life to, eventual, to eventually habit uh, that form of dwelling for as long as is uh, practicable to support it. However, the point that I have to make here is that within the early stages of Earth's infancy, it was in a state of uh, uh, obviously uh, cataclysmic uh, situations uh, whereby its chemistry, its physical biological chemistry was not fixed. So therefore it was lurching from one situation condition to another. At that point and at that time during the Earth's infancy, in exactly the same way that spirit are linked to the infant child, uh, as you would have been at the point of inception within the womb, that uh, that being resonance, the spirit energy of the, of the relationship to the physical presence, if you like, the being that you were as a child in the womb, was not something which was built of uh, great strength. It was a very tentative link. And at the time then, as you gradually evolved, 
and became more and more of a being, the link with the spirit, your spirit, and your physical body gradually strengthened. And that is exactly the same with the Earth planet itself. Its spirit has gradually strengthened over a period of millions and millions of years whilst the Earth became more uh, uh, abundant, whilst it created more energy, and whilst it as a physical thing continued to thrive. I'm saying in respect of this that the Earth, yes, you could say it's a mass of chemicals and rock and this and that, but it, it's presently, uh, predominantly, of physical matter to enable life to be supported, which in fact happened only simultaneously once another planet had, had bumped into it. And that only was created because of the level of different chemicals that were created through that combustive process. That wasn't something that was a part of the Earth's spirit makeup that it forced it to do that or anything like that. The Earth's uh, actual bridge between its etheric self and uh, its etheric bead to the physical thing of the Earth was very tentative at that time. And so just in the same way as a child or the spirit of that child, you see, mm. you understand that little analogy. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, there's, an, but there's, you know, if you look at the uh, consciousness or, or God or whatever you want to call it, there's um, an element of consciousness or expression of the one in that planet. Do you see what I mean? There must be an, an element That's of true. Yes, because there's another, there's another concept that's come across where they talk about logos, sub-logos. So you have like the galaxy, and then like then you have which has got the central sun, and then you have all your many suns, and then I think they are they sub-logos, and then those suns have planets. So there's kind of like um, like a parental structure to the energy. So um, the galaxy has its kind of experience and has like its children and the, the children are the suns and the, the children of the suns are the planets and the planets have people on there seems to be this kind yeah. of energy makeup yes i understand the analogy of it uh, the point is that uh, most certainly when you look at a a galaxy certainly a galaxy in the making of you will see that it's not just something that has a certain look about it because part of what you're experiencing and responding to, my dear friend, is actually what you see. And that experience is then portrayed by the different situations, the culminations in energy being transferred from one part of the system to another, which you are then accrying to the same uh, uh, message, if you like, as the relationship of spirit in the spirit world to that of physical stuff. And I'm saying that in many respects, as in all planets, as in all systems, there are spirit involved in all activity. That doesn't mean to say that spirit are not involved in activity that you paint as being hostile or negative. That doesn't mean to say that it's devoid of spirit, you see, or spirit activity. It doesn't mean to say that so part of the situation, I suppose, what I'm trying to say is that human beings have this facsimile of, of that, uh, that anything to do with God can only be good or pure or that energy, emotion, physical torment of love. 
but is not necessarily that way at all. That's purely and simply the humanistic, voyeuristic way of attributing what love can be in the spirit world or the universe or how it's even made up. I'm seeing and suggesting here within all good consciousness that the what you value as God to be, the creation of all life, is in fact all manifestation of all things. Whether that be something that is good, that you determine good, or whether you determine it as being bad, it, it itself may not think it's bad. That's simply a determination by mind, is it not? So it's, it's basically a question of perspective, isn't it? Like I was watching on, on yes. TV the other day and they had um, young children um, just killing and eating fish. And you look at these young kids and they're just in survival mode. I mean, this, this was in a, a third world country yes. and they just needed the fish. But, you know, this fish was still bleeding. It was still having its guts ripped out. And then there's a, a young child there, just non plexed really by the whole thing and just eating it away so is that an evil act or it's just no <laughs> do you see what i'm saying it's not an evil act that's what i'm saying mm. that is simply a because what i'm coming the place that i'm coming from dear friend is that of mind interaction are you saying that just because you have an emotive stance of what you uh, a cry your your or a crew sorry your uh, uh, morality to be, you are using your morality code format to actually then say, oh, I think that that is a good thing, or no, I think that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that means it's a humanistic approach that you are making to this valid, yes, of course. But I'm saying that you are then attributing your coloration of what you think love is, or, or your humanistic, voyeuristic approach of morality in respect of the child eating the live fish and it's still screaming and 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 uh, churning around because it's having its its uh, innards eaten as it still struggles for survival in exactly the same way as you will observe any other instinctive process of physical life when it is a matter of instinctive process that's not to say it has high morality codes attached to it because it sees animal versus energy equals food and that's simply the process mm. when you are then in a position to uh, attribute a code of morality uh, or love or or negativity or see it as a hostile act you're coming from a, po a position not of instinctive behavior you're coming from a position where you are actually using your voyeuristic approach of whether you accept it or not whether it's acceptable to mind, judgment, decision-making, the product of one-on-one one illuminates time and time again within physical life that if you begat life, you will survive or you won't survive. That's the sum total of your status and of your opinion, however you wish to dramatize it, however much religion and painted faces you wish to spread about it to make your voyeuristic approach more acceptable and palatable to you as a living being or as a spirit being is going to be the continual uh, uh, ex extrapolation of how you see energy. I'm saying simply when you see an instinctive approach to something, 
as much as I myself, when I was in physical life, had sometimes to adopt exactly the same principle. My father was completely aghast when he found out that I actually kept a mouse. And that I kept a mouse not to eat it, but as a friend. Whereas, in actual fact, what I should have done was offered it for food. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Yes, yes. And so, in that respect, I became respectful of him and his need for survival. I understood at that point when my father, John Hay, said, you have a mouse. I see. And I felt completely uh, uh, dishonored that I had done such a thing to keep such a, a, when I understood the need for our survival as beings of the physical world. So I say, my dear friend, with good conscience that it is always the march of humanity to try to overcome their habitual instinctive behavior. And yet I see it time and time again, human beings will use their act of play or their act of uh, uh, sport in order to bring to the end of life other beings and call it just that, sport, so that they are able to overcome their voyeuristic, linguistic, and instinctive behaviors of that are called the poverty of the mind. Okay, one more reader question. A, a thin question. Friend. This, this, I hope it's Finn. <laughs> you tell me if it's Finn or not, and if, if, if it, you feel it's going to be too big, we'll leave it out. Um, why are the Jews the chosen race on earth? That's just a popularist opinion, and that is one which is maintained by themselves alone. They are obviously a people of great myth and magic, but also of great, uh, uh, they have a large history which continues to plagiarize them. Yeah. Okay. That's a and that does not excuse their behavior. None of it. No. Well, this is, it's not generally the, um, the general populace though, is it? It's the people that govern again, isn't it? Quite so. I absolutely, totally agree with you, dear friend. Unfortunately, they have allowed a large, volatile mix of people to, uh, to take what was once a very purist and uh, uh, equivocally uh, loving energy into something of extreme volatility and uh, anger and resentment. This is where I think that people need to wake up, like you say, and realise that our governments really, or the people that control us, never want us to live in peace. They never want us to live in harmony. They want us to be at each other's throats. It's by of design. Course. Yes, so yes. That's, yeah, that's why we... easier then to control people. Do mm. you not see that? And particularly, that's exactly the same reason as to why you have uh, so many different religions and their religious thoughts and views and feelings were so... Uh, counterproductive to harmony, basically in their whole basis and structure. Once you say in, a, in any form of understanding, only use this as a form of love and only use this as a way forward for your life because everything else is dark and dangerous and meaningless. I am not saying that religion itself is uh, is something 
of a, a, a benefit, really, to human beings. I, I can see parts of religious understanding which may be of benefit, perhaps if it preaches that all love should be gained by all beings, rather than deciphering those which can and which cannot inherit the love of the world or the love of that which you understand God to be. Yeah. So really, we need to we need to sort of take ourselves away from the, the control structures, really, and it's, it's it's like a grassroots thing, isn't it? People need to wake up from the ground up and realise that they're never going to give us peace if we wait for them to do it. It's all about us stepping yeah. away from their control systems and doing it ourselves. Waking up from the ground up is that you wake up your feet first and allow yourself to walk away. Wow, that's a good analogy. <laughs> right, okay. Um, I think we're, th we're at the end of the show now. So um, I hope it wasn't too deep for everybody. And um, we often get carried away there. So, yeah, thank you again, Gregory, for uh, coming on and giving us your thoughts on the way things are. It's always a pleasure. I, I thank you, my dear friend. Uh, don't forget that tomorrow everything will be turned about and the way that you think tomorrow will be not just a reflection of what you thought of today, but will be a different reflection of what you may aspire to be. Okay, thank you. Well said. With love and light, my dear friend, Ian. With love and light, blessings upon your journey. May your feet always find the ground you wish for. Okay, thank you. God bless. Thank you so. God bless. If you would like to book your own personal reading with Gregory to find out about your own soul journey, then please visit the graphic banner underneath the show or visit www.spirit-teaching.com.